0: visit carp.ca
1: good afternoon and welcome to the zoomer weekend review all things zoomer worldwide I'm Libby Zneimer a small-town mayor says he's been handed a death sentence by the government after learning OHIP won't help pay for treatment that could help extend his life and if you're over 45 years old and living in Canada, chances are you or someone you know looks after a friend or family member as an informal caregiver. But being a caregiver is very difficult and supports are few and far between. We'll discuss a new campaign from CARP to lobby for more help from the federal government. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's being hailed as the best news in dementia research in 25 years. Scientists say they were amazed to find that patients treated with the highest dose of the antibody drug aducanumab experienced an almost complete clearance of the amyloid plaques that prevent brain cells from communicating, leading to irreversible memory loss and cognitive decline. Crucially, they also found that after six months of treatment, patients stopped deteriorating compared with those taking a placebo, suggesting that their dementia had been halted. These findings were based on a very small study of 165 people, but researchers say they could be a game-changer if the effects on memory decline can be confirmed in larger trials. There's nothing like a farewell tour and a final nationally televised concert to boost album sales. The country's insatiable appetite for all things tragically hip has sent the band's entire discography back onto the Billboard charts. My it Topping the Billboard list is the HIP's 2005 Greatest Hits compilation, Your Favorites. Singer-songwriter Gord Downey revealed earlier this year that he was suffering from terminal brain cancer, which skyrocketed interest in the group that Prime Minister Trudeau says has provided Canada's soundtrack for the past 30 years. The province of Saskatchewan has given permission to the city of Saskatoon to inter the cremated remains of famous hockey son Gordie Howe and his wife Colleen at the base of a statue honouring him. The family made the request recently, but the city needed to apply to have the statue at SaskTale Centre and the adjacent area declared a cemetery. Howe was born in floral, but the family moved days later to Saskatoon, where he grew up. The former Red Wings great died June the 10th at the age of 88. <music> Dr. Joy Brown has died. The nationally syndicated radio host and licensed clinical psychologist died suddenly on Saturday. Her sister says she was on the phone talking with her, when her heart stopped, at the height of her radio career, Dr. Brown was heard on over 200 stations across North America. Dr. Joy Brown was 71. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's a heartbreaking situation we see all too often. A patient with advanced cancer is running out of options and out of time. He finds a reason for hope a treatment that is not available in Canada. But the cost is exorbitant and the government won't pay. The patient is Trent Hill's mayor, Hector McMillan. He was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer in January. He believes a procedure called IRE surgery with a machine called a nano knife could extend his life. He wants to go to Kentucky where it would cost about $300,000. But OHIP says the procedure is experimental and there's no research to show it can work for advanced disease. Hector McMillan is not giving up. So first of all, how are you?
2: I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm currently leading what I would say a fairly normal life for someone who has uh, survived a previous cancer five years ago. This is my, my new way of life and uh, things could always be worse, believe me. Um, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling okay.
1: You have had very strong words for our health system. You're saying that the Ontario government is sentencing you to die because they won't pay for a procedure in the United States.
2: That's right. They've given me no other choice. They've offered me palliative chemo, and that's it. They didn't discuss any other options, natural products, voodoo. I mean, they didn't offer IRE surgery, certainly. Um, That was it, Just, just palliative care. They've given me no choice.
1: IRE surgery is the procedure you want the government to fund for you. Tell me about it.
2: The procedure is called IRE, which is irreversible electroporation.
1: Right, and they apply voltage to the tumor.
2: Correct. They do apply electrodes in and around the tumor, and they send electrical pulses in that destroys the tumor. Dr. Martin specifically says if the tumor breaks free while they're in there, they pluck it out with a pair of forceps, and if it doesn't, they just leave it there and it dissolves away in no time
1: the results that they have posted they don't show that this is some kind of cure the results do no, averages right all all results are averages sure. but the results that they have posted show that it doubles survival to 24 months for people with stage 3 which is a, a less advanced cancer than you are diagnosed with you were diagnosed with advanced pancreatic cancer in January, correct?
2: Well, I never heard the word advanced, but they did call it stage four.
1: Okay, stage four is advanced. It means that the cancer has spread.
2: Yeah, that's true. I took chemo until the chemo almost did me in. Then I started on natural products. And since then, I've had a PET scan that says that the three lymph nodes of my chest are no longer cancerous. I spoke to uh, a lady this morning in Saskatchewan. She contacted me to tell me that she's the only Canadian who has ever had nano knife IRE surgery in Canada and that was a year ago and she's doing wonderful
1: mm-hmm. and what did, what did she have?
2: She had the same thing I did
1: she, she had stage 4 pancreatic cancer?
2: Uh, they called her stage 3
1: ok well there is there is a, a difference
2: well I understand the difference but I want back inside the box And Dr. Martin, who is the leading expert and pioneer behind IRE Surgery, says that I am a definite candidate.
1: Back to this procedure. Uh, You have a GoFundMe campaign, right?
2: My friends have set up a GoFundMe campaign for me on my behalf, yes.
1: And uh, you've got about uh, 10% of what the cost might be in the United States?
2: Yeah, just a little bit better than that. I think there's about $36,000 Canadian uh, right now. And they also established a trust account at TD Bank.
1: In the United States, they need—they would need more than $300,000 up front. Is that right?
2: It's in the $300,000 mark. Yes, they can only offer an estimate.
1: And OHIP says they can't fund this money because, because it's not a proven treatment. So what do you say to that?
2: Well, they should talk to the hundreds of patients who have successfully had it around the world. There's 60 hospitals in the U.S., that have these machines in operation all the time. They're around the world, Britain, Germany, Australia. They're everywhere, and they're working. They're giving people alternatives. They're giving people hope and giving them some extension to their life, and we're all now waiting for that opportunity to extend our lives a couple of years and hopefully more, and my surgeon in Kingston told me that I am unique. With 35 years of practice, and he's about to retire this December, he has never seen a patient like me.
1: That's fantastic. So it is. It is. is.
2: Now, now I don't fall into the law of averages and I understand why we have averages. But for me, there is a fighting chance. And to hear that they're not even offering it for the stage three patients, though, is where I really came up with this media campaign so that we can bring that to Ontario so that there is more hope for pancreatic patients beyond me. You were one of those unique people, too.
1: Absolutely.
2: And all I'm doing is asking for my shot at it. That's uh-huh. all I'm saying. And if I, can, if I can bring some additional good out of this for other Interians that follow behind me, that's just wonderful. Like you say, the, the, the clock's ticking. And, and Libby, that clock right now in, in the back of my head is worse than tinnitus. It's just like a gong, gong. It's getting louder and louder and faster.
1: It's a horrible situation to be in. There's absolutely no doubt about that. My heart goes out to you.
2: Um, And it doesn't matter what stage you are. If you've got pancreatic cancer, I mean, how many times have you heard a friend or a level one or a friend of a friend, you've heard, oh, so-and-so has just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. We all gulp because we know the odds are so slim of survival.
1: believe me, I know. And again, best of luck. Thanks so much. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Hector McMillan is appealing OHIP's decision, and we'll keep you posted. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. When we return, CARP is taking on a new campaign aimed at getting help for caregivers. The organization's VP of Advocacy joins me in a moment.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP. A new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit CARP.ca.
1: Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. It's no secret that informal caregivers don't get a whole lot of help from the federal government even though their unpaid work saves billions and billions in health care costs. And new figures suggest that nearly 75% of those caring for older adults with Alzheimer's or dementia will suffer some type of negative psychological effect, including depression. In response, CARP is stepping up with a campaign to lobby the federal government for more assistance for those caring for loved ones.
3: At one point or another, a third of employed individuals will care for somebody with a chronic health condition.
1: The numbers, as you say, are staggering. I gather that over 8 million Canadians provide unpaid care
3: uh huge numbers of individuals and huge dollars involved. The the annual savings to all levels of government are twenty five billion. Uh and so considering how much the government's saving from the use of unpaid caregivers, it's it's really sad that we're not doing more to support them. And that's what Croft Caregiver Campaign is all about.
1: When you become a caregiver, it can be a very rewarding experience, as you say, but it can also be extremely traumatic and draining.
3: And you're absolutely right. And and what we know is that uh, almost three-quarters of individuals who look after somebody with a chronic long-term condition will themselves suffer some ill health effects, and almost a sixth of them will exhibit signs of depression. And what about the financial burden? Well, you know, for some people, they can manage caregiving uh, after their regular employment. So it's a stressor, but not a financial burden. But for others, the burden of care that they assume is so great that they cut back their working hours or sometimes leave their jobs altogether. So it can be a really significant financial burden. Okay, so what
1: are you looking for then?
3: Well, that's one of the reasons that that CARP has our three financial asks. We realize that there's a lot that needs to happen for caregivers, but we think more money could could really help. So there's three things we're looking for. First of all, uh, caregivers in Canada today are eligible for uh, a compassionate tax credit, a benefit, but they only get that if they have taxable income. Uh, And, of course, the hardest-class caregivers are the ones that give up their jobs and have no income. So we want to turn that tax credit into a rebate. So the second thing is employment insurance. And we have had some uh, changes in employment insurance that CARP really welcomes, uh, allowing people to take uh, employment insurance while they look after a a loved one who is within 26 weeks of death. Uh, but the problem is that a lot of times you need to care for somebody who's got a chronic condition, but they're not imminently dying. You know, imagine a spouse that's uh, getting a hip replacement and is unable to walk for a couple weeks, or a loved one who has cancer, perhaps breast or prostate cancer, and hopefully they're going to survive it just fine, but they need some support on an ongoing basis when they have chemotherapy treatments. So we want to expand the eligibility so that individuals caring for others, even if those people aren't next to death, can still get employment insurance. Okay. And what else? Well, And the third and final thing is that we'd like all of the provincial governments to take a lease out of what's happening in some other countries and yes, we're talking about countries like Sweden and Finland, but also Australia and the UK and the province of Nova Scotia where uh, a means-tested income allowance is paid so that, for example, a grandchild can look after a grandparent or someone else can get a little bit of income as an informal caregiver. In Nova Scotia, the amount is about $100 a week and that can make a real difference for someone who's struggling to make ends meet.
1: Now, some of these things sound eerily familiar. Have they, in fact, been the subject of promises by the
3: Liberals? Well, the government did talk about, in their election promises, looking at the tax credit and also looking at the employment insurance. And now we'd like to hold their feet to the fire and make sure that happens. Uh Uh-huh. When they uh, start looking at
1: things, that can take a very long time.
3: Uh, Yes. And, you know, and unfortunately, caregivers can't wait. So many individuals do not want to go into long-term care facilities. They don't want to be in acute care beds. And, of course, it's a really expensive way for provinces to look after people. So for a fraction of the cost, we should invest the money in supporting caregivers and allowing people to be where they really want to be, which is at home.
1: Okay. And uh, what can people do to join this campaign? What do you want us to do?
3: What we want people to do is, of course, support CARP, because this is a a critical part of our advocacy. Join uh, carp.ca is our website, carp.ca, and join, become a member, and sign up for the caregiver campaign. We will keep you posted with uh, information and news as we carry on. We're going to be launching a letter-writing campaign, and we need all levels of government to hear from you.
1: Okay, Wanda, thank you. Okay,
3: thanks so much, Libby.
1: That's CARP COO and VP of Advocacy, Wanda Morris. I'm Libby Nimer and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, we wish a happy birthday to a singer-songwriter who hit it big with his brothers in the 1970s. Barry Gibb turns 70 when the Zoomer Week in Review returns.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today visit carp.ca.
1: Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time for your international arts date book tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown.
4: Just outside London, Her Majesty's Prison at Reading opens to the public for the first time as actors Rafe Fynes, Maxine Peake, and singer Patti Smith take turns at reading material Oscar Wilde wrote while imprisoned there from 1895 to 1897. Director Michael Bartlett is staging the readings in the prison's chapel for a reason.
2: It's the only place Wilde really went apart from the exercise yard. Uh, when he was allowed out of his cell.
4: Performances of Wilde's 100-page ballad of Reading Jail happen Sundays through October. Coincidentally, in California, an all-woman cast is presenting Wilde's The Importance of Being Earnest at the Long Beach Playhouse. It runs through October 1st. In Spain, the Prado has extended the exhibition dedicated to Hieronymus Bosch in Madrid. The show is dedicated to the 500th anniversary of the Dutch painter's death. It's extended through September 25th. And you can now attend the Dubai Opera, which premiered The Barber of Seville, starring Spanish tenor Placido Domingo at its new 2,000-seat performance center. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Book.
1: This weekend, we are celebrating the 70th birthday of singer-songwriter Barry Gibb. Barry is best known as co-founder of the Bee Gees, along with his brothers Robin and Maurice. Barry lent his iconic falsetto to the trio, but he was also the group's primary songwriter. Not only did he pen a number of the Bee Gees' number one hits, he also wrote hit songs for other artists. Songs like Islands in the Stream for Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton, Woman in Love for Barbara Streisand, and Grease for Frankie Valli. In fact, the Guinness Book of World Records has listed Barry Gibb, as the second most successful songwriter in history, only beaten by Paul McCartney. Right now, we'll hear some of Barry Gibb's songwriting for his own group, the Bee Gees. Here is one of the band's biggest hits. It spent over two months on top of the U.S. Billboard charts, Night Fever. That was the Bee Gees with Night Fever. Barry Gibb celebrated his 70th birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Louise Nimer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide.
0: You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer Moses Neimer. Produced by Dave Woodard and Paul Thomas.